Hello, everybody. Recording live from somewhere. Lord, Lord of mercy. All night, Sunday, Central. Follow me now. Say, say, I think it's the rolling hip-hop. Say, Jay Rolls is the rolling hip-hop. Hello, listeners. Thank you for tuning in to the Created for Marketers by Marketers podcast. My name is Billy Louisu, and we've been working hard to find marketing topics which will help you level up your skills, and that will blow your mind. Today is episode four, and the topic is operating at your peak. We will discuss ways that you can create and instill habits to be better at what you do. My guest for today is Scott Dowdy. Scott has over a decade of global sales and management experience at industry-leading marketing technology companies such as Salesforce and Adobe. However, Scott today blends ancient wisdom and modern science to empower leaders and teams to thrive. How are you, Scott? Hey, Billy. I'm great. Good to hear from you, mate. So, mate, I've been wanting to chat with you on on this podcast for quite some time. We've known each other quite well. And you have a, a, a fascinating story as to how you landed in the industry and what you do, um, in particular, this topic that we're going to be talking about. Um, but before we do so, I ask a standard question to start all podcasts around marketers and music. So what do you listen to when you work? Great question, Billy. I, I listen to a, an eclectic mix, as I'm sure you do as well. Uh, but there's one artist that stands out particularly for me, and that is a, a guy named Trevor Hall. Have you heard of Trevor Hall? I haven't. Sorry, mate. I'm, uh, yeah, I've, I've heard of Barry Hall. He's a, he's a football <laughs> player though. So <laughs> Trevor, Trevor Hall, he's, uh, I mean, he's a young American singer songwriter. He's, uh, you know, I mean, you and I, we're, we, we both have a, a passion for hip hop from back in the day. So this is, this yes. is not that, um, it's, it's quite uplifting, like for, uh, but, uh, you know, he, he, he threads in elements in around sort of meditation, and it just reminds me of like living in Bali. So that's, that's what I like to have in the background when I'm, you know, in a, doing some work at the computer. Something soothing, something a bit more relaxing, something keeps you focused. Yep. It's, it's actually uplifting and optimistic. That's what I love about it the most. Yeah, I'm going to have to check it out. So good, you've created a Good Vibes playlist, you were saying to me, where I can listen to the tunes of Scott Dowdy. Yeah, exactly. So all the songs that I listen to when I'm working... I pretty much hit that every day on repeat. There's like four or five hours of music. And, and Trevor Hall, he's the number one artist that appears in that playlist. So, uh, yeah, he's just captured my attention at the moment. Awesome. Well, I'll, I'll check that out, mate, and I'll put it in the, in the bottom of the notes so other people can have a listen to it as well. And I want to give you uh, some time. I want a brief introduction of yourself and what you do um, and how you landed in the role or the, the industry that you're in today. Yeah, sure, Billy. Well, you know, we know each other from you know, the tech space, um, that's been my whole career up until the last couple of years when, you know, I, I guess I was at a point, you know, I'd reached a point in my career, we were, we were very successful. However, I started to notice that, you know, the sacrifices I was making in and around my own health, um, and I became, you know, instead of being totally focused on the work that I was doing, I became quite interested in how we work. And I've, I've made a transition over the last couple of years or an evolution, I'd like to look at it and start to study how we work. You know, and really start to look at you know, what makes us productive, how we can care for our mental well-being. And I saw a huge opportunity to bring this knowledge back into the workplace with the people you know, that, that, that are my peers that are all in management positions now and help them, I guess, 
you know, optimize their own mental and physical well-being, but then empower them with tools to bring things like mindfulness into their leadership at work. Yeah, mate, uh, I think it's fascinating. I know we've spoken at lengths about it and um, philosophize about it, about a better working environment, a better working culture, you know, doing what you love. And I think your story um, encompasses all of those things. You, um, you classify yourself as an executive coach. Um, and, I, and I find that, that fascinating because it wasn't probably an industry that, that was around you know, 20 years ago. And now it seems to be um, um, really core to executive leaders who are looking for ways to find a balance between work life or spiritual awareness and you know, getting more out of their day and, and more out of their fulfillment in their lives. Tell me a little bit more about it. How, how, how did you how did you fall into that industry, and, and how do you perceive that um, that value for executives? Yeah, sure. So I, I think you know, executive coach by definition, you know, I'm a coach. I've, I've certified in certain modalities in and around coaching, and that was a, a big part of my journey as well. So I tried different things. I studied NLP. I've studied things like tantric, hatha, yoga. I've studied mindfulness and meditation, and and trained up in these modalities. So what I do now is, I, I, at the end of the day, we're all human. So you know, you pick the most archetypal, you know, badass sales leader that <laughs> isn't interested in any of this stuff. And the reality is, they are. You know, and, and they're very competitive. And you know, once they know a path that's going to help them get to where they want to go, you know, they they really take to it. So I, I've what I do with the most unlikely of people. What I'm doing is really just playing a similar role that, you know, when you think about a coach and, you know, I know you're an avid sportsman, Billy. So you know, <laughs> we've had coaches in the athletic world for forever. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And, but we've seen to sort of drawn this line between, you know, physical athleticism and the work we do in the corporate world. And, you know, coaching really just brings a similar element to it. I've also trained, like I said, in mindfulness. So I bring, I, I fuse mindfulness meditation in with my coaching and I'm helping people, you know, be executive athletes, be their best at work, but also make sure they've got enough energy so they can go home and, and be the best father, uh, mm-hmm. mother, parent, partner when they get home. Yeah. Oh, mate, it's, uh, it's, I, I completely agree and see the, the value that that can bring um, to an executive athlete and comparing a physical athlete to, you know, an executive athlete, I think is a really great synergy and alignment because yeah i mean they've all been there we've all been in in meetings or um in in workshops or some challenging environment where you you don't feel like you're 100 percent yourself or you don't feel like you're being able to think on your feet or you feel um sluggish and and you don't know why um scott one of the first things that you did and i admired was um the take 21 challenge and i think that was you know what started you on this journey um what was that all about if you can shed some light on that yeah sure i mean i'll take a step back before you know the take 21 challenge became a thing so in uh, february 2016 i was in the u.s at a salesforce leadership conference like an internal meeting before the year kicked off and um, you know, I'd just flown to San Francisco. I'd, I'd, you know, I'd had a, like a breakup, you could even say, before I even got on the plane. Um, it's a long flight. I'd had a few drinks on the plane. Like I wasn't in, you know, I wasn't at my best. Let's just put it that mm-hmm. way. And I, I get to the conference and I go uh, 
and I'm sitting in this dark room waiting for what I expect to be, you know, two days of, you know, this is the latest shiny tool that we're going to be going out and selling. And next minute, a, um, a monk comes on stage. And uh, the short story is, you know, like I'm not alone in feeling the pressure of this, this repetitive quarterly cycle that we've put ourselves under for so many years. And, mm. you know, Salesforce had identified that, that we, needed to, we needed to make some changes. And, you know, they, they were embracing mindfulness and, and, you know, this person had come to talk to us about it. And I, I was really mesmerized. I thought, you know, I, I need to learn what this is about because I didn't feel very mindful in that moment. And so I made a decision. I made two decisions, actually. One was I was going to learn to meditate. And the other one was, you know, I reflected. There were so many changes I wanted to make in my life, but I knew that, you know, this sort of habit of, of drinking alcohol quite regularly was getting in my way. You know, physically, emotionally, and mentally, I was training for marathon. I was, I was running and riding a lot and, you know, waking up, not feeling my best. And I just knew that, you know, that was the start of my problems. Like, you know, just wasn't a very good tool to recover from a busy day to recover from a business trip so I made a decision I was going to take 21 days off alcohol and that's how this began and and what happened was I felt so good very quickly that that 21 day uh, challenge that I gave to myself and I challenged a couple of friends which is why it's called challenge has has persisted you know like for 1,050 maybe 1,500 days now I'm, I'm still you know doing this challenge and and I decided to I guess, package it up and, and sort of share my story. And like literally thousands, if not tens of thousands of people have, have read about, you know, what I did and either worked with me or, or at least, you know, taken their own challenge after reading, say, my LinkedIn article. And um, that's, that's how that all began. Soda, water and lime, Scott. That's your, that's your drink Soda of choice. Soda, water now. and fresh lime. Yeah, yeah mate. Yeah, no. It's every time. <laughs> you, some people find it tough to just give up a drink for a weekend and you've done it for, you know, over 1,500 days and you, you talk about started with the 21 days but it's such a a big thing it's such a social norm um you know i have a glass of wine every night and i've got nothing against it but it was interesting that you saw how that was potentially your kryptonite and that was affecting your um your performance on the playing field which was your job so that monk that was on stage was everybody else in the room just as mesmerized and taken away taken back by the philosophy and his his approach I, it's a great question. No one's ever asked that. And, and I can't really remember, you know, I, what I do remember is meeting up with, you know, some, some people that, you know, you know, like my peers mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm sure we found it quite amusing. And, um, but like whenever I've connected with these people, you know, we all remember this person, the monk's name, his name is brother spirit. So I, I do. And, and this sort of goes back to my point around the assumptions we make about the people that we work with and the roles that they're carrying. And, and but at the end of the day, there's humans behind there. And, I know deep down, like I've had conversations with all of the peers that I sat with at a very uncomfortable lunch afterwards because I'd made a decision to not drink like literally after that session and and they ordered me beers. So that was my first uncomfortable moment. But, you know, we spoke about it. We probably played this, you know, this role of, you know, like, come on, whatever and joking about it. But I've Mm. I've spoken to all of those people since. And, you know, it, it it was an interesting moment. And if anything, I feel like it was a turning point in the right direction for you know, looking at how we're operating as, as organizations and individuals mm-hmm. and that over the last couple of years, we've made huge strides, particularly companies like Salesforce, mm-hmm. um, you know, in the right direction, embracing things like mindfulness and, and compassion. So, it, you know, it, I think it was a starting point that you know, we've gone on to do great things since. So, mate, what, um, 
What do you find are the biggest challenges executives face? Because you obviously have uncovered what was your biggest challenges and your Take 21 challenge was just one component of many things. But what do you find are the biggest challenges from speaking with executives? Yeah, it's interesting. It, it continues to evolve. So, you know, alcohol was, was an interesting space. And, you know, I wrote an article on LinkedIn and over 300,000 people read it, uh, of which wow, around, yeah, around 20% of that audience, according to LinkedIn, were executive directors or CEOs. So, you know, that is an, and it was, right? Like that was 2017. So that resonated, right? That was a challenge, um, but, but things have evolved. And I think there's a lot more scope in the corporate world now for people to choose whether to drink or not. Um, and this idea that, you know, we have to be out and obviously things have changed a lot now. You know, we've, we've got an experience where we're not doing that anymore. So new mm. habits would be being formed. But what, I, what I've seen um, more recently over the last 12 months the one thing, so I work with quite a few, you know, predominantly sales leaders So the one thing that they wanted more than anything about what I was able to help them with was the ability to switch off, you know, when they're finished with work, the ability mm. to switch off. Most of them had kids and partners. Uh, that's what they wanted the most. How do I switch off so I can spend quality time with my, you know, my family? Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, I, I think that's a big one. <laughs> yeah, you've... Uh... Got me uh, thinking right now. It's a challenge that uh, that I face. You know, I think I've I've got many nights where I come home and I and I need to be instructed to get off my phone. It's just an attachment, and it's like, what are you doing? It's like I'm working. You know, mm. it's, it's it's just kind of be mindful. Exactly, and, and you know, we're not alone. I think we're, for many years, you know, whether it's being on your phone too much, um, you know, we we kind of didn't talk about these things, and we we made this trade off between I'm working and this is important. Where I think where we're at now is we're asking bigger questions around what is important right now. And companies realize that, you know, if people are making these sacrifices, it's going to come at a cost at some point. You know, people leave uh, because they want to spend more time with their families or they want to, you know, just feel more fulfilled as a human. So I, I think it's also a critical juncture where companies are coming to the party. And I don't think we've got all the answers yet, but like, I, actually, the other thing is, so how, how have you approached that, Billy? Like, what are, you, what are you doing as a leader to at least make a little bit of improvement in that area? Yeah, so we, we started uh, as a leader, I've, I've started, you know, um, work home life balance, right? So it's, you know, letting people, especially now with COVID, right, um, choose the hours they may want to work for that day. You know, some people will say, a doctor's appointment in the morning or I've got a, my child's, you know, you know, something important that afternoon that I want to get to. So it's just about um, giving them flexibility as to how they choose their hours in the day. Um, Another thing that I've done is uh, purposefully, you know, try and not bring my phone to the dinner table. Um, Mm. So at least that's one moment. Now, again, I'm not perfect at it, but it's one thing that I'm, that I'm trying to do. Um, And, you know, I, I guess the other thing as a leader is having, you know, we have one-to-ones all the time with my staff and it's just about being, being vulnerable. Mate, I, I love that, you know, and that, that was really the heart of my mission when I embarked on this journey, you know, as it started to really sink in what, what the potential was here. Because to be honest, for a while I was living in Bali, you know, I was like, I'm out of here. Um, I'm going to watch the sunrise, sunset, meditate. And when I came back and started meeting with you know, the team that, that used to work for me predominantly and, and hearing their stories of vulnerability after I had opened up, I realized there's more work to be done. And I'm so happy to hear that, that leaders like you are 
embodying all of this stuff and, and also accepting that, you know, no one has really worked this out perfectly and we have to try and we have to be okay with letting people know that we're trying to do this rather than coming at it from this is how things are going to be. Yeah. Um, I it's think not perfect. It's, it's, it's never so perfect, powerful. right? <laughs> you know, we focus on perfectionism and it's, it's actually not that simple. You know, you've got to find momentum and find improvements in what you're doing. Um, progress before perfection. Totally. I love that. So Scott, you've, you've got, um, you know, uh, themes that you talk about in some of your classes and some of your workshops as to how you can help be people, um, so, you know, help burnout or, you know, um, find ways that they can recharge and have deeper meaning in what they do and, and bring a hundred percent of themselves home and a hundred percent of themselves to work. Can you talk me through some of those things? Yeah, sure. Uh, the, the main themes that I talk about, uh, one is with mindfulness and, you know, mindfulness has become such a big theme, uh, it, you know, and, I, you know and, and it's somewhat misunderstood to some aspects as well. But, uh, you know, I, I help companies adopt mindfulness programs and it doesn't have to be complicated, right? Like, I think what's really powerful about, you know, say meditation, which is a way to practice mindfulness is that it, it can, can uh, create a container of space. And, you know, thinking about your scenario where, you know, now your, your home is your work and your work is your home. And you now it's very easy to take your work to the, the dinner table. Um, mm -hmm. Like mindfulness are these moments where we can create containers where we're not going to be focused on our phone and we may be going inward and doing a meditation practice or something like that. But it could also be just taking a few minutes, say, before a meeting and just to take a breath you know, ground ourselves, think about what the intention of that meeting is. Mm. You know, let's say you're about to have a one-on-one -on -one with one of your employees and, and how do you want to show up on that? Do you, want to be, do you want to be the leader that's sort of thinking about the last meeting that you just had or do you want to be the leader that creates a bit of space between, you know, trying to avoid back-to-back, -back, get ready, think about how you want to show up and be fully present to that person on that Zoom call or in person if we get back to it. So these are some of the really practical things that, you know, uh, you know, maybe kind of understood at a cognitive level, but not really embodied or ingrained in corporate culture yet. Mm. Some of the other aspects of what I teach is around how we work. And if you look at, you know, I love what you're doing with allowing employees to somewhat choose their, their working times, because the model that we're still running with is, is you know, it's like industrial revolution. It's, it's the eight hours of work, rest and play. Um, you know, that was a revolutionary idea 100 or so years ago. But now, if you look at the muscles we're using, you know, we're not in factories. We're using our brain and our brains work differently. And if we do eight hours of, of deep work, when it's not going to happen. So people start to multitask. Whereas if we, if we look at the science of, of productivity, you know, doing deep work. So setting aside time, working on a very specific task and then recharging from it is far more effective. And it comes back to this idea of being an executive athlete. You know, mm. you say, you, Usain Bolt, right? Like everybody knows him. When he performs or when he used to, it's like under 10 seconds, right? But his training will be for hours and his sleep and recovery will be for 12 or 14 hours. Whereas... For that 10 seconds. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So how can we start to see that, you know, at the end of the day, we're talking about humans, and, you know, for us to be creative, which is a big part of what marketers need to be, you know, that, that, that brain uh, modality when we're creative 
doesn't come when we're stressed and exhausted. There's a totally different type of brainwave that's, that's flowing through the brain when we're being creative. So, you know, there's a real science to this. And I feel we're at the cusp of maybe even using what happened with COVID to reevaluate how we operate um, that's more congruent with, with how we're designed. Well, mate, I think the current, current pandemic is absolutely, you know, showing us that we can evolve and work in these, in these environments. And I'm finding personally, it took me about six weeks to get accustomed to working from home, you know, two kids under three, you know, uh, not a massive house, um, trying to run podcasts from my bedroom, but Hmm. I've now tried to, you know, find peace and, and gratitude in the situation, um, and small things, um, which actually ladder up into massive things of happiness. So, you know, being able to go do that train set at lunchtime with my son, being able to finish work at five o'clock and be home for dinner, um, being able to, you know, put my, my daughter in a pram and take her for a walk whilst I'm doing a meeting. And those key themes for me is, um, is what's helping me bridge that gap. So I know when we go back into full-time work and, and it's never stopped being full-time, but back into the, the office environment, I'm going to find ways to still do those things. And it may be operating at my peak will mean, you know, finding two days a week to work from home and allowing that to every, every person in the office to pick those days as well. So they can get that true work-life balance. Can you do me a favor and demystify um, mindfulness for me? It is a term that I hear a lot and I've, you know, I embody myself. Um, But can you demystify it for me? Sure. Yeah, there's, there's multiple definitions, but the ones that I work with is, so, I mean, we are being mindful quite often, right? So let, let's say you're, you're um, you know, with your kids playing with the, the train set and you're, you're very engrossed with that. Your attention is presently focused on, or it's focused on what's happening in that moment. You know, you're not distracted. That's where your attention is. So mindfulness is really the act of intentionally bringing our attention into the present moment. And it, there is another aspect to it as well of, of our attitude. So, you know, and, and I think that analogy that you gave is, is really quite wonderful because you are bringing your attention intentionally to spend time with your son, playing trains, and you're probably doing it with an attitude of, of curiosity and wonder. You know, you've got this, this child there that's your, your son and you're, um, you know, you're very focused on that moment. That, that is kind of a, a way of describing mindfulness. And, it's, it's to intentionally bring our attention, which is being distracted and called upon all the time mm. into, the, into the present moment. And there's different ways that you can apply and practice mindfulness. Yeah, I think it would have been about, uh, about 18 months ago, <clears throat> I went on a, um, on a retreat. It was a, it was a challenge with, with 12 other executives and um, it was seven days. We, we hiked seven mountains and swam in seven oceans. And um, the whole philosophy of that was to not just give you a digital detox, um, but to get you out of your comfort zone and get you to speak with other people who are also in very, you know, high stress situations um, and really to to really leave there with a, with a sense of purpose and, you know, understanding of what's important in life and what isn't. And when I say digital detox, because that, that to me is whilst I work in tech and I work in marketing and I believe that it can be there to power great experiences. It also can be quite distracting. 
So being able to turn that off and not look at the red dots that pop up or the notifications that pop up to say there's something. And then you have that urge to just check what it is. Cause you've got that FOMO of, I don't know, it could be something great. Um, I want to read that message. That's a massive distraction. So mindfulness um, and having practiced it myself for me is correct. You could be mindful, you know, on the basketball court, you can be mindful at home. It's just really embracing the current situation that you're in and for what it is. And every, every sense, um, whether it's your, your sight, your smell, your, you know, your taste, your, your hearing <clears throat> to be occupied in that space. There's another way to look at this as well, right? Like I think like one really wonderful way of looking at mindfulness is, is to really to see clearly mm. so we can act accordingly. And, you know, what happens is as you practice this, what, what tends to uh, result from it is that you start to become more aware when you are distracted. So it, it takes a lot of practice to get to a point where you may not be distracted anymore. But the starting point is becoming more aware when, you know, your attention is somewhere else. When you're, when you're playing trains and your attention's not there, you're thinking about the meeting that you had or, or something mm-hmm. at work. And, you know, you will start, so the act of mindfulness in that situation, because First, there's the awareness that your mind has been distracted. And this is the same whether you're you know, playing with your son or whether you're practicing meditation with mindfulness is you become aware that you've been distracted and without judging it or without any effort or concern, you bring your attention back into that moment. So that's, that, that's like a great analogy. When you become aware that your mind is not present, you bring it back to the present moment, whether you're working, whether you're in a conversation. You know, mm-hmm. you know when you... Like you're talking to me now, your mind will be thinking of different things you can ask or say or whatever. To be mindful in conversation is to, you know, intentionally bring your attention and focus back to whatever it is most important in that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got a good way of simplifying it, Scott. Um, you know, seeing clearly is such a simple articulation of, of mindfulness. You talk a lot about happiness and gratitude. Um, can we dive into mm. that? Like how, how do you, how do you, how do you do those two things? Like they sound simple, but again, like how do you practice those? Yeah. I mean, I think like there's been a few uh, monumental insights in the last couple of years that have just blown me away. And, you know, the impact of alcohol on the body for some people, um, mindfulness and the power of meditation and then gratitude. So, you know, gratitude is important because if you look at the way our mind, our brains work, we have this notion of neuroplasticity. The, the brain can be rewired. You know, it's how we learn things. Um, but this was a, you know, I, I guess a leap in knowledge not that long ago um, where we sort of discovered that the brain is, is really quite malleable. So what, why gratitude? You know, and I remember, like, I, I've, I've been in relationships in the past where my partner would ask me three things I'm grateful for, and I didn't really... I didn't really participate. Now, I may have done it once or twice, but I didn't see the value in it. But what I've since learned and experienced in my life and in that of my clients is when you start to look for the good things, right? And, you know, and I've been writing a gratitude journal for probably four years now, almost every day. And it could be the simplest thing. So I'm grateful, Billy, for you inviting me onto this podcast. You know, and that's, that, that little act, like if you notice, when you, when, you, when you bring gratitude into your body, there is a there's a physiological response, right? Mm. And you can cultivate a feeling of thankfulness quite easily using the power of the mind. You're, it feels good, first and foremost. It feels good to be grateful and thankful. And um, just as a side note, like many Australians, I grew up spending a lot of time in Bali and I was always fascinated how 
what was back then a much more impoverished culture was so happy all the time. You know, and, and if you've been to Bali, you'll know that they have these little you know, offerings out the front of all of their properties and shops every day. Yeah, they do. Like these cultures have, have gratitude ingrained. And how this works is by looking for the things to be thankful for. Whatever you practice consistently, you effectively become. What you practice grows stronger. So by, you know, whether you do it for 21 days or, or longer, your brain rewires and you start to look for the good in things. And when you're looking for the good in things, you can't help but profound, simple practice. So the, the way that, you know, it, like to practice gratitude can be as simple as, you know, at the end of your day, or, or I, do it, I do it in the morning. So after I meditate, I use an app called Day One and I just jot down, like whether it's three things, I just free flow. You know, I just write, today I'm grateful for this, the sunrise, this opportunity with my mm -hmm. business, for this chat with Billy, for this person that's in my life. That's what I do. And, it, you know, there's no real rules around it. Just be thankful for what you've got and you will just naturally become happier over time because of that practice. Yeah. The glass is half full. Focus on what you have and focus on what you're, what you're happy for. You, you um, bring these practices and you bring these think, thinking and these, these abilities, skills, these tools to executives and you preach around the executive athlete. What success stories have you seen? Like, have you seen um, changes in their performance? In their yeah, I, I mean, well, well, it's interesting. I mean, most of the people that I'm dealing with are already successful. So the the challenge that they've found is is maybe they don't feel as successful as they were before, or they've you know they've lost faith in what they're doing. So if I start to think of the people that I've worked with, what I what I noticed is you know this realignment with purpose and what's important to them. And, you know, some of that's found in the work that they're doing, but quite often it's found outside of work. So that, that is a big one. You know, we do the work to really get clear on what it is that's important to um, someone. And, and, and there might be big gaps of things that are important that we need to change. So mm -hmm. by putting some attention on that, big shifts happen for them. I mean, in terms of performance, like I said, these people were already doing well. Mm -hmm. So by creating space and helping them recharge and, and recover from burnout, because mm -hmm. burnout is not just exhaustion, it's cynicism and inefficacy you know you, you start to feel jaded and you don't feel good at what you're doing anymore mm. when we recover out of burnout this person is once again you know performing and they're nicer they're kinder they're more compassionate to their teams and that creates a positive feedback loop and you know next minute you know the business or the team is is collectively operating at a high level that that's been what i've observed mainly um, I'm about to embark on a project where we're going to measure the effectiveness of uh, an eight-week program with, you know, around 450 people. So that's Rally. very exciting. Yeah. And the the effectiveness based on what metrics? Uh, well, we're still looking into that, but it, it's going to focus on on stress and the ability to manage stress. Uh, primarily, mm -hmm. it's stress and the ability to focus and prioritize mm -hmm. work. So you know, once again, in around mindfulness, stress management, and productivity. Um, yep. They're the main KPIs that we're going to be focused on. Super interesting, mate. Uh, please keep me, uh, keep me in the loop with any progress you make there because as a leader and, and in a high stressful position, I think any of those, uh, that information would be really beneficial for me to surface and to share with my, with my network. So um, that's awesome. Great to hear that you're continuing the research and expanding um, your knowledge base in that area. So Scott, we're coming towards the end of the uh, end of the call. I always look at one skill that you think marketers need to take away based on everything we've discussed. 
um, what is that one skill that you think they can, they can integrate into their life today? So I'll give you a skill, but I'll also give you a mindset. And, and the mindset shift is that, that well-being is productivity. You know, you spending time with your son, taking a break to play trains, you know, that's productivity in that, you know, you are resting your mind. You're coming out of the, you know, the fight or flight mode that we generally operate in when, when you're running an organization like yours. You're resting your mind. You're creating the space, the spaciousness where creativity can flow and innovation. So I think the mindset is, you know, well-being with productivity, taking time to, you know, do whatever it is for you, whether it's meditate, do a bit of yoga, go for a walk, like that equals productivity and it should be in your calendar. It's mm -hmm. as equally as important as the meeting with your boss or your client. Mm -hmm. So that being said, schedule time to mentally recharge. You know, whatever it means for you, put it in the calendar. I think, I think as a leader, um, you know, you want to encourage your people to, to understand how they work best, whether it's hours of the day or, you know, an ability to take break and switch off. And make that okay. Make it like, let's celebrate what makes us all individually human and schedule some time, whatever it might be for you in your calendar to mentally recharge as the executive athlete you are. Book time with yourself or book time in, in your own calendar during your day so no one else can take over that. And I think that's a really important message. Like we, we you know, we sometimes, you know, fill up our calendar from the start of the day to the end of the day based on, what meetings other people have put in there for you. But sometimes mm -hmm. you just need to find that space in your calendar and allocate it to yourself. Be prepared to be prepared to say, no, I, you know, this is a really important 45 minute break in my day that I need um, create space. Yeah. To mentally recharge again, great insight and great simplification of what a lot of people are really struggling to do. Um, you, you also Scott talk a lot about, and I've seen you on Instagram, mate. Um, you, uh, uh, do meditation and you do a lot of breathing exercises. Um, is that something that you also, you, you know, recommend practicing your, your breathing? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, the, I guess the simplest technique that I've ever taught anyone, uh, I guess, beyond gratitude is, is to breathe. And, you know, in mindfulness meditation, quite often the focus is on the breath. Mm. Um, but there's a lot like there's a lot in and around this that's rooted in, 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 in like the tradition of yoga. So just very quickly, the physical aspect of yoga that, that we practice today was just a, a warm up for us to breathe. And that helped us calm the body so we could sit and breathe. And the breathing just calmed the mind so we could meditate. So, you know, breathing is super powerful. It's the gateway to influencing our, our nervous system. The way that I recommend using breathing, you know, before we got on this call, I... I don't jump from one meeting to the other. So there's some really practical things that you can link to breathing, you know, and, and you have influence, right? Like some, mm. some people sort of put their hands up and say, I don't control my calendar. Well, you do, you know, and if someone keeps putting hour long meetings in your calendar back to back, let's schedule it. So it finishes five minutes before. So everybody can mentally take a little break, right. And, and however they want, but I, I recommend using a technique, three breaths and you simply, you know, you can close your eyes or keep them open, but just take three deep, conscious breaths um, and slow on the exhale is going to be calming. So if I'm about to, you know, back when I was doing speaking gigs and I'm feeling a bit of anxiety, slow exhalation actually calms the nervous system. Big, powerful inhalations stimulate the nervous system. 
so there's this really interesting science around breath work. So you know, mm. people like Wim Hof, for example, um, who I've studied with as well, you know, that's an amazing technique. I would practice that only if I want to charge myself up, for example, because we're taking huge amounts of oxygen into the system. But if I want to just quickly, you know, calm myself down, get ready or get present and grounded for a, a meeting or a Zoom call, for example, I'd take three deep conscious breaths, um, maybe visualize success in the next meeting, decide that I'm going to be fully in present for it. And that's all you need to do. So, you know, anyone can do that. Um, if you want to look up a, a very simple technique that you can you know, learn and practice at home, um, something like box breathing, where you're just taking, you know, um, uh, inhalation and a hold, and then an exhalation and a hold of equal length, say four seconds. So, you know, these are very simple techniques mm. and you just notice how, it impacts our nervous system and you, the fastest way to change how you feel is with the breath. Mate, that's, um, as you were talking, uh, I, I naturally went in and, and started doing my three big breaths and, uh, almost put myself, uh, to sleep to the smooth baritones <laughs> of your voice. But, you know, I, I, I am a big believer in the simplicity of breathing, right. And the stress reduction, the faster recovery. I mean, anyone who's, been in the in the birthing suite during labor it's yeah. all about breathing right it's that is the way that is the body's way of, of pushing um the baby out and i watched some wim hof documentaries recently after you actually recommended him to me and i saw how he helps people in um in negative degree ice weather mm. you know and enduring that pain on your body or that challenge on your body just through the practice of breathing so um yeah, we sometimes forget because it's automated. We just do it. It's not something we need to think of. But when you start actually bringing mindfulness and and, and appreciate it and, and practice it, absolutely five minutes before a meeting, it will definitely relax you or you use it to put you in a in a energetic state like you were mentioning before. This is the cool thing about this stuff. It's, you know, it's ancient techniques so that, you know, that all of this was worked out millennia ago and we just forgot, you know, we created a rather mechanized, um, society and it's interesting because I've been speaking in the last year or two sort of saying that this is all an experiment and we're now literally seeing that it, it was right and we can now create a new experiment coming out of COVID and people like you are in a position where you can have influence and say on, on how we organize ourselves and how much humanity we invite into an organization rather than just running it and looking at it like a machine with with humans as parts of the machine I, I'm, I'm quite excited for where we're going from here yeah. Yeah. Me too, mate. And, uh, we definitely have a lot, a lot to learn a lot to now implement in, in how we move and how we change the workforce moving forward. Um, I end every phone call and every podcast with buzzword bingo. I think it's a mandatory to get everyone who loves marketing jargon, a chance to hear what you think. What's your favorite word of 2020? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm one thing that's really interesting for me at the moment, and I, I, I guess in terms of buzzwords, there's, there's been a few fun ones kicking around, but something that's really captured my attention um, is this notion of emotion AI. Um, so a bit on a more on a serious note, but I, I'm fascinated as to what's going to happen when our devices can actually read our emotions. And I'm mm. sure marketers will take advantage of that, but you know, I, I think the whole world, you know, will shift when, technology knows how we're feeling um that's that's kind of blowing my mind <laughs> at the moment billy i uh i echo that and i will give you an interesting little story of where i've 
also played with the motional AI. I um, built using Raspberry Pi a connector uh, camera which synced up to an app. And what it allowed you to do was it allowed you to point that camera to somebody's face and it would tell you whether you're happy or whether you're sad. Um, and we were looking at how we could use that to um, change sentiment in, in photos. As an example, we were, if you search, um, this was for a, a big car brand. Uh, if you search uh, a simple term like women drivers, you would see it comes up with a whole bunch of negative memes, right? So we were saying, how could you use AI to identify a negative message through either emotion or through the characteristics of a meme? So very similar technology, instead of looking at sad, happy, confused, disappointment as emotion, you look at the makeup of that image and emotion is one thing. And we were saying, wouldn't it be cool if you could then change um, when someone Googles women drivers to change everything to being a positive message, a spin on the memes that are going out. And it was just a really simple way of using emotional AI because at the end of the day, Google and Amazon already have API layers where you can, you know, look at these millions and millions and millions of images and get a data reading on the emotion that that image, either by color, by facial recognition or by makeup of that photo uh, what's the emotion that it's trying to trigger? Fascinating stuff. But um, how that's going to work in TV ads and, uh, you know, um, service-related industries, I'm yet to see and yet to hear, but it's a really, really interesting, interesting topic. topic. Yeah, it's going to change everything. So uh, let's make sure that, you know, mindful leaders like you are uh, making decisions on how we're going to use that technology. <laughs> Thank you, mate. Yes, uh, no, uh, no Skynet, no Skynet here. Mate. Stay very far away from that. Scott, really appreciate your, your time today, mate. Um, so many great insights, so many great learnings and your journey of where you started and in, in software sales, high pressure industry to where you've come to support people like me and many other SaaS leaders um, to, to, to work and deal with, with the stress is, is amazing. So thank you for joining. Thanks, Billy. It's been great. Appreciate it, mate. Thank you.